Well, uh, welcome once again. I would say good evening like I have in the past, uh, but if you're watching this recorded, you might not be watching in the evening, but welcome. Uh, we're going to look at the last uh, few chapters of Jeremiah tonight, and we'll start in uh, Jeremiah chapter 46. Let's do a little bit of a recap, though. Uh, so we'll finish uh, the book of Jeremiah tonight, uh, the pronouncements of judgment against the nations, uh, in which uh, the Lord uh, pronounced judgment against Egypt, against Philistia, against Moab, against Ammon, against Edom, against Damascus, against Kedar and Hazor, against Elam, and uh, against uh, Babylon. And then there's an epilogue there where it talks once again about the fall of Jerusalem uh, and uh, some of the, the final or the finality uh, of uh, certain things, such as the death of the priests and officers, uh, deportation and deliverance of a king that was in prison. So uh, to recap, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we started with uh, Jeremiah's call and, uh, and we see the humility of Jeremiah as he uh, accepted or realized the Lord was calling him. Uh, we went on to see uh, several sermons uh, through the first 25 chapters uh, of Jeremiah, and he, uh, he preached on Judah's unfaithfulness, uh, repentance or retribution, uh, the distortion of worship, uh, the broken covenant, the marred girdle and broken bottles, the drought, the sign of the unmarried prophet, the potter and the broken pot bottle against Judah's kings, against Judah's false prophets, and the two baskets of figs, and the 70 years of captivity. And of course, uh, we uh, remember that Jeremiah is not in chronological order. Uh, it is written more in the sense of, I suppose uh, still writers do this today, uh, they might write a biography about somebody, but they'll focus on certain things that are characteristics of that individual. Well, in this case, these were characterized by the sermons, and then it went into the conflicts of the prophet and talked about certain things that had happened and some contention he had with different uh, groups there. And then it went into the consolations of the prophet, and I think we all enjoyed that portion. Uh, and then into the circumstances of the prophet and talking about different things that befell him. So uh, as we uh, go on here, we'll talk about these uh, pronouncements of judgment against the nations. As we look at the, uh, let's look at the key verse here uh, to start. Um, therefore, thus, pardon me, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will punish the king of Babylon and his land as I have punished the king of Assyria. And that's Jeremiah 50, verse 18. Just the beginning here of the background says, God had called Jeremiah to be a prophet unto the nations, in Jeremiah 1 5, for more than 40 years. He ministered to the southern kingdom of Judah. In chapter 46 through 51, Jeremiah pronounced God's judgment on the pagan nations of Egypt, Philistia, Moab, Ammon, Edom, Damascus, Kedar, Hazor, Elam, and Babylon. And so uh, this really is kind of a wrap-up. And so when we consider this thing uh, and we realize that this was not chronological, as we go through this, remember that these were different things that the Lord had said at different times uh, during the, the timeline of Jeremiah. Uh, one of the things uh, that, one of the questions it asks, it says, uh, why do you suppose 
that God chose to judge the other nations? Well, it's funny because every time I read this question, I think, well, might I wonder why the Lord does anything? Uh, but uh, but let's look at this just a little bit. I think we can infer certain things uh, from Scripture. We see the character of the Lord uh, through His Word, uh, and uh, it, it just doesn't seem right. First of all, if God is going to judge uh, His people, uh, Israel and Judah, uh, that it would remain that the surrounding nations who had uh, helped lead them into sin, who had helped uh, perhaps uh, bring uh, difficulty their way, and in some cases even fought with the king of Babylon and the Chaldeans against uh, Judah, it seems unlikely that the Lord would just let them go. Uh, so if, if God truly is going to uh, judge his people, uh, then certainly he's going to judge the, the rest of the world as well. Uh, we, we know this uh, at one point in Scripture, and I'm not going to quote it exactly because I just thought of it now, but at one point in Scripture he says, you know, those those that were taken off the vine, he says, uh, you know, how, how we need to consider our own salvation lest we, lest we fall. I mean, the Lord cut off uh, those that would not follow Christ. Uh, certainly, uh, we're not any different. Uh, well, these surrounding nations also uh, had done evil uh, toward the, um, the nations of Israel and Judah as well as uh, they had uh, flaunted uh, what the Lord had told them. Uh, and we already read about that in one instance where we talked about Tyre and Sidon where uh, Tyre was going to be judged, uh, and certainly was. We see the uh, ultimate destruction of it uh, by Alexander the Great, uh, as prophesied by God in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Let's turn to uh, Genesis uh, 12.3. Let's see here. I'll look through my notes. Genesis 12.3. Uh, this was the Lord speaking to Abram. Uh, he says, I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Uh, just because the Lord was uh, angry with Judah or, or with Israel uh, did not mean that somehow uh, he was giving uh, everyone free for all to do whatever they wanted. He had called Babylon and he was using them as an instrument uh, to come against Judah. And in several occasions, they, they did that over the course of Jeremiah's ministry. Uh, and the Lord allowed that to happen because they needed to be judged. Uh, but that was not giving license to anybody to just uh, come down upon the people of God. Uh, you know, from a historical perspective, uh, we, we see this all over. There's a lot of anti-Semitism that has happened uh, through the past. Uh, many people want to blame God's people uh, for something that's going on uh, in their own lives. Uh, and uh, you can look through history yourself. I don't need to point out specific examples, but, uh, but God does not give us license to look back and to condemn the Jewish people for, for any reason. Uh, first of all, it's not for us to do. Uh, but second, we have this promise that he gave Abram, uh, that he will bless them that bless his seed, and he will curse them uh, that curseth uh, him. In Proverbs 28.10, it says, Whoso causeth the righteous to go astray in an evil way, he shall fall himself into his own pit, but the upright shall have good things in possession. Those nations had led uh, Israel away and Judah away from their God and from worshiping uh, him. And so the Lord brought judgment. And it was right. It was right, first of all, because God did it. Uh, but it was right because it's consistent with his character 
and with the way that he has conducted himself throughout and given us his word. Uh, we can look as an example uh, to David uh, on this. Uh, if we look at 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 5 through 7, uh, David had the right attitude. Uh, and this is a, a good a lesson for all of us. It says, And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. I'm going to stop there for a moment uh, to remember the past of this. David uh, was being chased by Saul. Saul wanted him dead. And he, he attempted several times to kill David and to bring an end to his line. Uh, and at this point, uh, David was hiding in a cave with his men, uh, found Saul very vulnerable, uh, and could have done what he wanted uh, at that point. But he went and he cut off a portion of the, the skirt or the hem of his uh, robe there in order to show or prove that he had been within close proximity. But even that, he felt con a little condemnation over that. Uh, we'll read on in verse 6. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, uh, that I should kill him. Uh, the Lord's anointed to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words and uh, suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. So we see here the right attitude. David uh, recognized that God had a plan for Saul. And even though Saul was not following God, it was not up to David to take things into his own hand without the commandment of the Lord. He, he was very clear on that. And we, too, need to be very careful. Uh, you know, we, uh, those of us that are saved, we, we were all sinners. Uh, you know, the Lord was our friend. He reached out to us when we were yet sinners. He died for us when we were yet sinners. So we need to be careful when we relate to those that are not following the Word of God that we, we recognize that God has a plan and He's, He's still reaching out to them. Uh, just like He had reached out to Judah uh, and Israel. Amen. As we continue, uh, we'll read Jeremiah 46. Verse 25, Jeremiah 46, verse 25 says, The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saith, Behold, I will punish the multitude of No and Pharaoh and Egypt with their gods and their kings, even Pharaoh and all them that trust in him. <clears throat> it's interesting here because the, the question uh, that's asked in the lesson is why do you think God identified each entities separately rather than simply, simply grouping them as a nation. Well, this is a really interesting discussion, especially for today. Um, the Lord doesn't look at us individually as, as a part of a group. And what I mean by that is that the, the Lord uh, looks on us as an individual soul. Uh, you and I uh, are not, how should I say, subject uh, to the the rule of the majority. Uh, you and I make our own choices and we're held accountable for our own choices. You and I will not be held accountable for the choices uh, of other people unless we fall into the group that is mentioned here. Uh, it says here at the end of verse 25, and all them that trust in him, speaking of Pharaoh. Uh, we read uh, already about uh, the group that was in a bad way, and they decided that they wanted to go against the Lord and, and go trust in Pharaoh somehow. That somehow Pharaoh would be able to deliver them. And the Lord was very clear that 
that Pharaoh would fall. You know, we make choices. Even Joshua said to them in chapter 24, Joshua 24, 15, he said, choose you this day. You as an individual. Choose you what you are going to do. You can't ride into heaven on anyone's coattails. And certainly, you will not find protection from the Lord by any earthly means. You make a choice. I make a choice. And that choice is ours and is unique to us. We can't just ride in. I, I remember when Brother Wayne Butler was our pastor, uh, he, he told the story several times of his testimony and he mentioned that uh, when he was confronted at the altar as a, as a boy, whether or not he was saved, and confronted is a strong word, he doesn't put it that way, but the first thing that came out of his mouth was, well, well I'm, I'm the pastor's son. I'm Rich Butler's son, as if somehow that was sufficient. Well, and he, he realized that it isn't, it isn't sufficient. Uh, you, you need to make a choice. I need to make a choice. Uh, wherever you are with your walk with the Lord, you need to choose to consecrate. You need to choose those things in your life uh, that, God, that God wants. Uh, look to Him uh, to see what His plan is for you as an individual. Because God has one for you. And I like that. Don't you? That the Lord cares enough about us that He has an individual plan for you and for me. That God does not forget about any one of us. That somehow we aren't left to our own devices. God knows where you are. He sees you in the place that you're at. And whether that's in a place of struggle or joy, God sees you there. He knows where you are. And He understands and knows what He has in store for you. We'll continue on with question number three. And we'll just read the question as is. Philistia was located in a portion of the Promised Land west of Judah along the southeastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. Chapter 47 prophesies of its final destruction at the time when Judah would go into captivity. What lesson can we learn from the fact that Israel never removed that nation from the promised land after their conquest of it? We read in Joshua chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. Now Joshua was old and stricken in years, and the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years, and there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. This is the land that yet remaineth all the borders of the Philistines and all Geshurai, from Sihor, which is before Egypt, even unto the borders of Ekron northward, which is counted in the, uh, to the Canaanite. Five lords of the Philistines, the Gazathites and the Ashtothites, the Ashkelonites, the Gittites, and the Ekronites, also the Avites. Probably Avites, but... We, we see here that uh, even in Joshua's uh, old age, they hadn't yet got rid of the Philistines. And we know as we read through the judges following this that the Philistines were a major portion of contention for them uh, in the Promised Land. So then what can we perceive from this? We see here that the Lord judged the Philistines uh, after uh, He had judged Israel and then, uh, of course, what we're reading about here, Judah. So, so what can we draw from that? What can we understand from all of that? Well, uh, you and I have choices to make when we get saved, don't we? 
you know, we, we don't just get saved and then everything remains as is. If that's the case, then you won't remain saved for long. It's the way of it. The world pulls. The enemy pulls at us and tries to get us off the straight and narrow path. So the Philistines uh, were a thorn in the side of the Israelites. And, and eventually we see too that uh, the people, uh, well, lost their, their way. Uh, they lost the ark of God to the Philistines at one point. They, they were making poor choices because they chose not to take care of the Philistines uh, right off the bat. They became a thorn in their side. The same is true for us when we get saved. When we come to the Lord and we, we ask Him and we, we come in faith believing the Lord makes us His child, uh, there are actions that, that we must do in order to maintain that salvation. And one of those actions is we must cast off those things that were worldly. We must cast off those things uh, that were detrimental to us in a spiritual sense. Those things that, that kept us bound. We must cast them off. Now there are things in life that that attach themselves to us that are not sin in and of themselves. That's not what we're talking about. When you get saved, when you repent of your sins, God makes you a new creature. So we're not talking about sinful activities. Those, of course, must go away. But we're talking about those things that might distract. For example, when I was a young man and I uh, got saved, it, it, it was pressed very heavily on my spirit that I needed to get rid of the secular music that I had. Now, I'm not telling you that all secular music is bad. What I'm telling you is that at that time in my life, that secular music would have been a hindrance for me. And it was important that I cast that off, that I could focus on making sure uh, that I was walking with the Lord day by day. Uh, I gave away certain things that people looked at me kind of crazy. Well, that's okay. I kind of like that part. But the reality is we, we must cast things off that will will be a millstone to us. We'll read in Second Chronicles 7.14. It says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. It's that turn from their wicked ways that is so crucial to what we're talking about. It isn't enough just to have a mental acceptance of the Lord. It isn't enough just to acknowledge uh, that, that God exists. We must turn. That's the essence of repentance. We must turn. Well, we must continue to then turn and stay away from those things. We read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4-10, through 10, "...whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises." Don't you love that? Uh, amen. That by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. You see, that's what we want. And the worldly nature, we don't want to reattach. That worldly nature, we want to get rid of. We want the divine nature. The nature of God to rest upon our lives. It says, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Verse 5, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Virtue has been described as moral courage. Uh, and it takes that. Once we get saved, you, you must set off to, to have courage to set out to uh, do restitutions, uh, to cast off those things we've talked about, 
You know, the old friends will still ask you, well, why don't you go with us anywhere anymore? Well, you've got to have courage to get through that. Uh, And he goes on here and there's a list, but I want to go down to verse 9 in the interest of time. It says, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. That's exactly where the children of Judah were. That's why judgment came their way because they had forgotten what God had done for them. They were blind. And we read all about that over the last, uh, the course of these last few weeks. We, we've read about their blindness because they had forgotten. And we'll read verse 10. It says, Wherefore, uh, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. That election part. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should have eternal life. But you and I must strive to enter in, the Gospel says. Uh, We must strive. We must have diligence to follow. Or we will end up like Judah. It's a certainty. These lessons are given to us that we might learn from them today. Uh, What a blessing that God did that for us. Amen. We'll continue... Here as we go on, and we'll look at Moab and Ammon. And so let's go to chapter 48 and 49. In chapter 48, verse 7 of Jeremiah, it says, For because thou hast trusted in thy works and in thy treasures, thou shalt also be taken. So this is the judgment that they would also be taken. And Chemosh shall go forth into captivity. That was their God. Uh, with his priests and his princes together. And then we read in uh, chapter 49, verse 6. And afterward I will bring again the captivity of the children of Ammon, saith the Lord. So here we, we see that the Lord... Oh, did I read the wrong portion? I think I did. Let's read uh, 48, verse 47 as well. It says, Yet will I bring again the captivity of Moab in the latter days, saith the Lord. Uh, Thus far is the judgment of Moab. So we see that Moab and Ammon had a special promise from the Lord. Uh, And quite honestly, I'm not sure what they did to deserve it, but the Lord knows those things. But He gave them a special promise that they they would be able to come back uh, into their land. Uh, What's interesting uh, about this hope is that I guess it it begs the question, uh, you know, Sometimes people go through difficult places and those are designed by the Lord in order to to bring us about uh, to a place where we, where we, where we can repent. Uh, you know, the, the difficult places that we go through. It, it, let's uh, read John 15, verse 26. John 15, 26, it says, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, He shall testify of Me. And Maybe you're scratching your head going, why, why do you read that Scripture? Uh, the, it's that testify of Me portion. The Lord called the Holy Spirit the Comforter. Well, the, the Holy Spirit isn't always, or at least doesn't always feel like the Comforter. But the testimony of Jesus brings a reaction. Uh, for the saved, for those that are, are following the path of righteousness, the testimony of Jesus Christ brings a peace and a comfort and a strength. Uh, for those who are outside of that 
uh, place, the testimony of Jesus might bring conviction. My own wife's testimony I'm reminded of where she she was helping a, a college friend pack up her room and she happened to notice a poster on the wall. And it was a poster of the cross. And she asked about that. And, and this college friend of hers uh, began to tell her the details uh, of what Jesus went through. And she kind of did it nonchalantly. Didn't even really think about it. Just talked about Jesus' death. She gave the testimony of Jesus. That He had died for our sins. That He... Uh, suffered as a guiltless individual, and it broke my wife's heart. And she began to to weep. The 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 comforter, the spirit was there, and the spirit uh, was bringing conviction, uh, but for a, a purpose. And Moab and Ammon would be taken into captivity for a purpose, just like the children of Judah. We can continue reading in Second Corinthians seven nine through eleven. It says, Now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, this is uh, Paul speaking to the Corinthians, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, uh, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Now we know the difference between the sorrow, godly sorrow and the sorrow of the world. That's a pretty easy distinction. We see that in children. Uh, when you catch a child in something that they weren't supposed to be doing, you can tell immediately if there's real repentance or if they're just saying sorry because they were caught. That's the difference. Either someone truly is sorry because they disappointed uh, their parents, or they're sorry that they didn't take action better to not be caught. Well, that's a, a pretty easy difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is all about you and, and, and about your choices. Uh, godly sorrow is about the choices we've made against God, against His plan, about recognizing where we fit. So he, he says here, it worketh death. This worldly sorrow worketh death. He says, for behold, verse 11, for behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after, a godly sort, that carefulness, what carefulness it wrought in you, pardon me, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. Let's talk about that in just a second. In all things, ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Now, certainly, vengeance is the Lord's. So Paul is not commending them because they had a spirit of revenge. But I'm reminded of my own childhood. And there were times when I recognized the enemy trying to tempt or trap me. I remember we were, I was talking with another individual about someone who was elderly and was being tried by the devil and wondering whether or not they were still saved and just being, well, it felt like kicked around, quite honestly. Uh, and uh, and the person responded to me, you know, sometimes I just want to give the devil a kick in the teeth. Uh, you know, I felt that way too. And I remember as a young man, there were times when I finally recognized that it was the, the devil trying to work something out in my life. It was some kind of thing he was doing, and I, I felt a certain vengeance against the devil. Uh, well, the Lord will bring vengeance against him as well. 
But the, the zeal, the, the wanting to follow the Lord, the recognizing the temptations and the traps of this old world and casting those aside. That's what he was saying. That godly sorrow, that recognition uh, does for us. We see further the, uh, the way that the Lord helps in something that might hurt. And we read in Daniel chapter 4 of Nebuchadnezzar and how he went mad. He got so puffed up in himself, and the Lord even gave him a dream about what was going to happen. But he got so puffed up in himself that, that he, he did. He went crazy, and he went out into the field and began to eat grass just like the, the animals. Uh, but he, he says later uh, that he, he looked up, and the Lord delivered him out of that. And we'll read just the end of Daniel 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 37. It says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven all whose works are truth and his ways judgment and those that walk in pride he is able to abase nebuchadnezzar came back and the lord tried him but it was because of the mercy of god for nebuchadnezzar to see where he was well we can look at that in the same way for ammon and for moab in their situation we'll continue on and we'll read in chapter 49 uh, Jeremiah 49, and we'll read verses 7 and 13 through 17. Jeremiah 49, verse 7, uh, Concerning Edom, thus saith the Lord of hosts, is wisdom no more in Teman? Uh, is counsel perished from the prudent? Uh, is, there, is there wisdom vanished? And we'll skip down to verse 13. For I have sworn by myself, saith the Lord, that Bozrah shall become a desolation, a reproach, a waste, and a curse, and all the cities thereof shall be perpetual wastes. I have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent unto the heathen, saying, Gather ye together, and come against her, and rise up to, bat to the battle. For lo, I will make thee small among the heathen, and despised among men. Thy terribleness hath deceived thee in the pride of thine heart. O thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, that holdest the height of the hill, though thou shouldest make thy nest as high as the eagle, I will bring thee down from thence, saith the Lord. Also Edom shall be a desolation. Every one that goeth by it shall be astonished and shall hiss at all the plagues thereof. Edom didn't get the same hope that Ammon and Moab did. Uh, we'll read here just from the teacher's notes. It says it was become desolate, a reproach, a waste, a curse, and all its cities are perpetual waste. This nation had originally been a part of Judah's rebellion against Babylon. Uh, when Nebuchadnezzar uh, came to besiege Jerusalem, Edom joined forces with Babylon and took part in sacking the city and killing its inhabitants, the people of Judah. Their treacherous actions caused God to determine their overthrow overthrow to be like that of Sodom and Gomorrah, and that's Jeremiah 49.18. So let's go back to question one. We, we see here that, that God does not take uh, treating His children lightly. Uh, we read all over in the Psalms uh, that the righteous shall stand uh, by the power and the might of God. Uh, that when uh, those uh, come against uh, His chosen or His people, uh, God uh, counts that uh, against them. Uh, you know, the same is true for you and I today. Uh, 
those that are righteous and following the Lord have the promise of God's hand to be with them. We talked about the vengeance of God and how vengeance will be His. Well, He counts that against their charge. And here we see that that God counted that against Edom. And He did not give them any hope that they were going to be a a desolation. We'll continue on here in um, chapter 50. And then we get to uh, Babylon here. Uh, And I'm just going to read question number six. God had used Babylon as an instrument of justice in pouring out divine retribution upon Judah and the nations identified in this lesson. However, chapters 50 and 51 describe in detail the pronouncement of doom upon this once mighty nation. Uh, Bel and Merodach, mentioned in Jeremiah 50 verse 2, are names referring to a single deity, the chief god of Babylon. What did the prophet Jeremiah say would happen to this god and to the other idols of Babylon? What spiritual truth is revealed by this pronouncement? Well, it's one of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? Uh, No idols. Uh, But that's kind of where they were. Uh, They were worshiping uh, false gods. uh, And the Lord uh, deals with that. Uh, You know, we read about Nebuchadnezzar and how the Lord was faithful to him. In fact, actually, there was many times when the Lord was faithful to Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he did so at the, the miracle that uh, of uh, Daniel and his compatriots uh, receiving a pulse and water instead of the king's meat. Uh, he witnessed uh, for himself in his wrath the miracle of the, the deliverance of the three Hebrew children from the fiery furnace. God reached out to Nebuchadnezzar. God used him as an instrument to bring judgment to Judah, but all the while he reached out to Nebuchadnezzar. He reached out to to him to to find uh, that peace that that those that uh, that we can find in uh, the Lord. He was faithful to him, but the kingdom was still wicked. The kingdom was still following false gods. Let's turn to Deuteronomy six. Keep losing track where I'm putting things here. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 6. We'll read verses 12 through 16. It says, Then beware lest thou forget the Lord. This is the what Moses is telling the children of Israel before they go into the promised land. Then beware lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. You shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is jealous, a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Massa. Uh, maybe you recognize this in a different form. Uh, this is one of the portions of text that uh, Jesus recited in refutation against the devil. When he was tempted in the wilderness there, he said, Thou shalt have no other gods before God. So here is God reaching out to Nebuchadnezzar and reaching out really to Babylon. But ultimately they they rejected as a people and God brought judgment upon them.
So let me give me a moment here to look at my notes. Uh, we'll continue on here and we'll read question number seven. It says, Jeremiah 52.2 says that Zedekiah, Judah's last king, did that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. His leadership resulted in the siege of Jerusalem, the spoiling of the city and temple, and the killing and enslavement of the people of Judah. What was God's punishment upon Zedekiah? Uh, we read in 2 Kings 24.17 that Zedekiah was set up by Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, if you can read through Kings and you can get a, a pretty quick snapshot of the, the last few Kings uh, there. But we see that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had come against uh, Judah uh, several times. Uh, he had uh, killed or taken captive kings and, and he would then set up another king because they were tributary. But then those kings would rebel. What's fascinating about this is you would think that they had the right to rebel, that, that they should rebel. Uh, certainly you and I don't want to fall into captivity. Certainly you and I don't want to uh, to fall to another nation, as it were. Uh, but God's plan and His judgment of Judah required that they be taken captive. So in rebelling, these last kings, because they were not following the Lord and they were not listening to Jeremiah, they rebelled. Well, Zedekiah had the historical benefit, I don't know if benefit is the right word, uh, being the final and the last king. Uh, we read, uh, I mentioned 2 Kings 24.17 where he was set up as king uh, by Nebuchadnezzar and then he rebelled and went his own way. Let's read about his judgment in chapter 52 verses 10 and 11. And it's rather sobering. Jeremiah chapter 52, we'll read verses 10 and 11. And the king of Babylon slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. He slew also all the princes of Judah and Riblah. Then he put out the eyes of Zedekiah, and the king of Babylon bound him in chains and carried him to Babylon and put him in prison till the day of his death. A horrible end. You know, what's interesting about Zedekiah is that he was the king and he had the people's ear, as it were. Uh, we've already read a few accounts of when uh, people brought things to Zedekiah. Uh, well, the, the truth of our human existence here is that, you know, it's not just about ourselves. Zedekiah was making decisions for the nation. He wasn't just making decisions about himself. Uh, you and I don't fit into the same category in the sense that you and I may not be kings or, or in that kind of authority, uh, but the choices we make affect other people as well. Uh, you know, you might think that your sin uh, doesn't affect anybody. The little thing that you do is just so harmless. Well, that's just not true. Uh, the reality is, is that uh, your sin affects your family. Uh, my sin, uh, should I sin, uh, would affect uh, many. Especially given the what I've been given as, as my charge. You and I don't live unto ourselves. Zedekiah found himself in a, a bad way and he led a nation astray. It's interesting, Zedekiah could have chosen to follow Josiah's example. It was recent enough in history. It was certainly something he could look to, but he chose to follow after the sins of other kings before him. And that caused 
riots and havoc and pain and struggle and siege. Uh, Let's look at Romans 14. And I just want to cover a few verses here, but we're going to start in verse 11. Romans 14.11 For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to Me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not, therefore, judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. You, you see, the, the actions we take, people see. If you're a parent, your children see it. If you're an uncle or an aunt, your niece and nephew see it. You, you might think that somehow you're just living your life, live and let live. Well, the reality is, is that just isn't reality. Uh, we're all connected. Uh, we see that. In fact, today is a really great example of that. We are all connected uh, through this whole COVID issue. Uh, the reality is, is that everything we do or don't do has an effect on the people around us. And so this is a great time and a great example for us to look at this and recognize that in a spiritual sense, it's very similar. Uh, The actions we take affect uh, the next generation. Uh, They affect the people that watch us. Uh, They affect those that are in the valley of decision themselves. In verse 19 in the same chapter, Romans 14, 19, we'll skip down to that. It says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and the things wherewith one may edify another. I like that. To edify one another. The Lord calls us to do that. The Lord calls us to, uh, to live a life that is edifying. Edifying to God and edifying to our fellow man. Uh, to live a life uh, that uh, is pleasing unto God and leads people to, to Him. And you know, sometimes people look at that and think that's a, a tall order, that that's that's just unattainable, or that would take too much of my time. Well, the time that you've been given, God gave it to you. You don't have your own time. You don't have your own body. God gave that to you. You don't even have your own spirit. God gave that to you as well. So to think that somehow uh, you and I can uh, live our own lives and, and then that's good enough, Well, if we were to get right down to property rights, it's not your life. But thanks be to God, God give you a choice and me a choice. He doesn't expect us just to to be an automaton. Uh, No, He reaches out continually just like He did to Judah uh, here in these final days, reaching out once again uh, that they might find help in Him, that they might find peace and grace. As we consider the end of uh, of this lesson of Jeremiah. Uh, suddenly I, and maybe you're the same way, uh, Brother Dave and I were talking a little bit, you know, you go through a lesson like this and you kind of go in depth and you, you find things you never realized about Jeremiah. You find things you you never realized about this prophet. Uh, and uh, what a, an example to us uh, of one who 
stuck to the call that was given to him. Uh, we'll read next week, Lord willing, about uh, the the lamentations. You know the 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 difficulty that Jeremiah went through to to be in this place and do what God asked him to do. Uh, in fact, in in some places, it it sounds an awful lot like Job's lament, and we know what Job went through. But he was faithful unto the Lord. And so this last question says, uh, what qualifies or qualities in the life and ministry of Jeremiah might help us as we attempt to live for God in a spiritually challenging society? I'm pretty sure that fits all of us, spiritually challenging society. How can we live in our generation? How is it that we can take up the, the cause of Christ? How is it that we can, we can live the way that God wants us to live? Well, Jeremiah is our example, isn't he? Uh, we must be faithful in spite of adversity. It's a requirement. Uh, a good marriage is, is built on the same thing. Not adversity from our spouse, hopefully, but adversity that the world brings. Uh, we must be faithful in spite of that adversity. We must be faithful to the Lord. Uh, sometimes obedience to God takes courage. We talked about that, that virtue. But He will give grace and strength. Uh, we read in Hebrews about that. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Uh, the Lord will do that for us. Uh, we... Look for success in the eyes of God as being more valuable than success in the eyes of man. Really, uh, we want to study to show ourselves approved, uh, workmen fit. We, we were approved of God because of His love for us. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. In fact, it, it really, you could have the whole world on your side. If God's against you, you've lost. We want to, to have God's approval. And He's given us His Word to know what that is. Uh, the opinion of the majority is not necessarily the way to go. Well, amen to that. And serving God does not guarantee personal ease or security. Uh, God was faithful to Jeremiah. We saw it over and over again. And we read so many times when God intervened on Jeremiah's behalf. Well, he doesn't hold Jeremiah in greater esteem uh, than us. Certainly, Jeremiah had a call on his life, and I'm not in any way assuming that I could be Jeremiah. That, that's not what God has called me to. Uh, but God loves you and I the way that He loved Jeremiah. We have the authority of His Word on that. He is no respecter of persons. So He, he looks at us the same way He looked at Jeremiah. <coughs> He loves us. He, he wants to see us through this thing called life. He wants to carry us through. But you know, God has a plan for you. He has something He wants you to do, wants me to do while we're here. And that is to spread the Gospel of Jesus Christ. To be in the truth. To follow it wholeheartedly. The, the Gospel is real and tangible. And we can use it to make heaven our home. There is nothing else like it. God has called you under the sound of this message now. He's called you to be an ambassador. 
to reach out with the message of Christ. It's the Great Commission. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm not saved. I, I don't fall into that category. Well, get saved. What's holding you back? It certainly isn't God. It certainly isn't uh, anything that He is doing. Uh, well, give, give your life to Him. Uh, you will not be disappointed. God will set you on a path of infinite reward. We're going to close now with uh, Micah 6 8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Well, Jeremiah gave us a wonderful example of that. Uh, he, he touched heaven. God had a hard call on his life. God may have a hard call on your life or my life. You know, what makes it hard is the way we perceive it. Jeremiah was going to go through hardship. He was born in a time of hardship. You and I today, whether or not we have the Lord, we're born in this time of difficulty and hardship. Just because uh, we are Christians doesn't mean that the, any more has come against us uh, than anybody else. Now, certainly we know that there are trying, trials of faith that come our way. Uh, we read of those that have been beheaded for the cause of Christ. And you and I might go through that. Uh, but you know, the blessing of that is that once that's over, we're together with the Lord in heaven. The, the blessing, the reward that is available to us that, that consider not our own lives but just follow the Lord wholeheartedly is that we get to make heaven our home. That we get to be eternally with Him. The thief on the cross, as he, he, he reached out to, to Jesus as He was suffering and dying right there for His own sin. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. That's the reward we look for. That's what we want to see. I don't think Jeremiah was any different. Oh, amen. God will bless you if you purpose to follow after Him. We have the same promises to us that Jeremiah and all those that came before him did. We're grafted in, as it were. And we can hold on to His hand as we go through this. May God bless you as you study His Word. Don't stop here. Uh, continue on and read more and digest more and get those nuggets that are available for you. Uh, Lord willing, like I said, we'll be back next Friday with uh, Lamentations. And there's some nuggets in there as well. But God bless you as you study the Word and as you seek His uh, favor. Amen.